Section 8 of The Exploits and Triumphs in Europe of Paul Morphy, the Chess Champion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne Spiegel. The Exploits and Triumphs in Europe of Paul Morphy, the Chess Champion by Frederick Milne Edge. Chapter 6 The Staunton Affair, Part 1. We must anticipate the events of a few months, in order to place the discussion with Mr. Staunton where it properly belongs, viz., with Morphy's achievements in England. I do not think I have omitted a single fact or incident connected with an affair which has now become history, and my readers will agree with me that Mr. Staunton has suffered a far worse defeat by not playing the match than if he had been vanquished, as everybody says he would have been. In dealing with this most delicate question, I feel desirous of letting facts, as far as possible, speak for themselves. But as it is the province and the duty of historians to seek the causes of events, and to criticize the actions of their dramatis personae, I shall record, in all honesty and kindliness, what I believe to have been the motives at work in this contest. And in order that nothing may remain unsaid, I shall give all the correspondence on the subject, both pro and con. Paul Morphy's principal object in coming to Europe was to play a match with Mr. Staunton. I am well aware that a young gentleman travelling for the first time in foreign countries must have many objects in view, but in this particular case, the pretext for the voyage, the very inducement for his friends to consent to his journey, was to repeat the challenge personally, in England, which Mr. Staunton had declined, on the ground of the place of combat not being in Europe. It is necessary that this point should be understood, because much of the controversy hinges upon it. If we examine the challenge addressed to Mr. Staunton by the New Orleans Chess Club, we find therein two main ideas. Firstly, that Mr. Staunton is a representative of European chess. Secondly, that American players challenge him to combat with their representative. Mr. Staunton's reply raised but one objection, and that objection led Paul Morphy across the Atlantic in order to remove the only stumbling-block in the way of the contest. I was constantly with Morphy after his arrival in London, and a frequent subject of conversation between us was the match with Mr. Staunton. That, too, was the first, the principal topic, at all the London clubs we visited, and everything but the date was looked upon as decided. Mr. Staunton, however, had not, as yet, stated explicitly that he accepted the challenge, but he did so, viva voce shortly after mr morphy's arrival and subsequently in the illustrated london news it seems as if mr staunton had refrained from accepting the defi until a somewhat accurate estimate could be formed of his challenger's strength previously to the latter's arrival mr s s opinion of him was not at all equal to that entertained by his countrymen in america nor did any player in england give him the rank which he now holds there were no means by which to judge of his force. Not a dozen of his games all told had been seen in Europe, and his antagonists were comparatively unknown, with the exception of Mr. Charles H. Stanley. But that gentleman had, for some years, withdrawn from the chess arena, and his play with Morphy did not, certainly, equal his former exploits with Rousseau and Schulten. It was, therefore, absolutely necessary to await the result of his play with some known European antagonist, 
and I feel confident that the stature of his ability was measured on his first twelve or fifteen games with Mr. Barnes. Judging from these parties, Paul Morphy was little, if anything, superior to that gentleman, but the time had not been allowed for him to recover from the fatigues of his voyage, and I have always remarked that travelling, even by rail, seriously deteriorates Morphy's game. In accepting the challenge, Mr. Staunton postponed the commencement of the match for a month, in order to brush up his openings and endings. This was too reasonable for Morphy to decline. Subsequently, as will be seen by the latter's correspondence, Mr. Staunton obtained a postponement until after the Birmingham meeting in August. In the meantime, the young American had won the match with Herr Lowenthal, beaten Alter in a set contest at Pawn and Move, and startled the chess community by the imposing manner in which he had triumphed over every opponent. Public opinion had changed in respect to him. This was evinced by the way in which the London players, almost universally, spoke of the proposed match. I have heard gentlemen at the London Chess Club, the Devon, nay, even at the St. George's, declare repeatedly, Mr. Staunton now knows too well what antagonist he will have to deal with. Depend upon it, he will find means of backing out. This language, repeated at every turn, necessarily caused Paul Morphy some anxiety. On myself, however, I can conscientiously declare it had no effect. I did not believe it possible that any man, having so publicly accepted a challenge, would attempt to avoid a contest, and express this opinion to Mr. Morphy. It will be well not to accept all that one hears. Mr. Staunton has numerous enemies. Do not allow yourself to be prejudiced by them, but look upon his acceptance of the challenge as a certainty that the match will come off. With yet unshaken confidence in Mr. Staunton's intention to play, Paul Morphy addressed him a short note, ten days prior to the Birmingham meeting. To this he received a somewhat lengthy reply, the main point in it being that Mr. Staunton still required a few weeks for preparation. Morphy responded forthwith, entirely removing all ground for further excuse by leaving the terms to himself. Here was an unjustifiable mode of putting an end to diplomacy. Mr. S. could not continue a correspondence with one so overwhelmingly courteous, and he left London for Birmingham, without even acknowledging the receipt of the letter. Much argument has been built up against Paul Morphy on his non-appearance in the tournament, and one writer has endeavoured to prove from it that he was afraid to meet Mr. Staunton. Before leaving London, the latter gentleman assured his young opponent that he should not enter the lists, but should confine himself to simple consultation games. Why Mr. S. changed his mind, it is not for me to say, although I might argue that Mr. Staunton sallied forth courageously when he was certain that Achilles keeps his tent. However, Paul Morphy's first reason for not entering the tourney was that, his main object being to meet Mr. Staunton, and that gentleman having stated his intention of confining himself to a mere consultation game, as in past years, there was no chance of their crossing swords, and, consequently, no use of his spending two or three weeks in a contest which could never be a decisive test of skill. But, when repeated telegrams assured him that the English champion had decided on becoming a contestant, there were still stronger reasons for his continued declination. These reasons were the consequences of Mr. Staunton's own acts, added to the opinion of nearly every London player, that the gentleman was seeking an opportunity to evade the match. All these occurrences had somewhat shaken Mr. Morphy's faith, and he could not but be suspicious of his antagonist's movements. 
he therefore declined positively and finally to enter the tournament under the belief that whether he won or lost in that contest it would be equally to the prejudice of the challenge mr staunton might say i have beaten morphy what's the use of further contest or he has beaten me i am consequently out of play it would be madness to attempt a set match this and this only prevented paul morphy from visiting birmingham at the commencement of the tournament had he gone there when requested every influence would have been brought to bear to induce him to alter his determination and he merely consulted the interests of the contest he had so much at heart by keeping out of temptation until the tournament was too far under way to admit of his entering it but the meeting of the association afforded an admirable opportunity to obtain from mr staunton the naming of the day on which the match should commence part of the proceedings of the anniversary was a public soirée and paul morphy resolved that he would then ask his antagonist in the face of all present to fix the date i had the pleasure of accompanying our hero to birmingham and i witnessed the disagreeable contretemps which upset this admirable intention crossing the courtyard of the college on the morning of the soirée we met lord littleton mr staunton mr avery and i think mr wills now i do not know whether mr staunton had got wind of what was to occur but his action certainly frustrated Morphy's plan, and, for the moment, gave him the advantage. In all such rencontres, the man who gets the first word has the attack, and Mr. Staunton instantly availed himself of it. He opened fire by declaring that he was entirely out of play, that he had long been engaged on a great work, that he was under bonds to his publishers accordingly, that he might subject them to a loss of many thousands in playing at the present time, and so forth but he never stated aught that appeared to intimate the possibility of the match not coming off eventually, his plea being that he required further time, in order to put sufficient matter into the hands of the printers, and to prepare himself subsequently for the contest. It was now Morphy's turn, and the attack changed hands. The question was put, Mr. Staunton, will you play in October, in November, or December? Choose your own time, but let the arrangement be final. The answer was, well mr morphy if you will consent to the postponement i will play you at the beginning of november i will see my publishers and let you know the exact date within a few days the association now looked upon the affair as decided and morphy left birmingham firmly believing that the match would come off after all on the twenty eighth of august within a few days of the above conversation the following extraordinary announcement appeared in the illustrated london news a specimen of Mr. Staunton's style of play. Antibook. As you surmise, knowing the authority, the slang of the sporting paper in question regarding the proposed encounter between Mr. Staunton and the young American is bunkum. In matches of importance it is the invariable practice in this country, before anything definite is settled, for each party to be provided with representatives to arrange the terms and money for the stakes. Mr. Morphy has come here unfurnished in both respects, and, although both will no doubt be forthcoming in due time, it is clearly impossible, until they are, that any determinate arrangement can be made. 2. The statement of another contemporary that the reduction in the amount of stakes from £1,000 aside to £500 was made at the suggestion of the English amateur is equally devoid of truth. The proposal to reduce the amount having been made by Mr. Morphy... I was perfectly astonished when I read this statement. Mr. Morphy had caused the stakes to be reduced from £1,000 to £500 aside. 
without mentioning englishmen there were americans in london and paris who asserted that morphy could be backed against mr staunton for ten thousand pounds and the money be raised within twenty-four hours i mentioned this fact to a noble lady in paris in order to show the confidence in which the young american was held and she replied oh as regards that you may tell mr morphy from me that for ten thousand pounds against mr staunton or any player in europe he must not go further than my house I asked Morphy to demand an immediate retraction of the unblushing statements contained in the above paragraph, but he replied, When a man resorts to such means as these, he will not stop until he has committed himself irredeemably. Let him go on. Shortly after that, Mr. Staunton changed his tactics. Let not the reader suppose I am about to represent things otherwise than they appear on the record. Let him first take up the files of the Illustrated London News, from the time of Morphy's arrival in England to his match with Harwitz. Let him examine the analysis of the games, the notes of the moves in that paper, and he will invariably perceive that the American's antagonists could, or might have, won, the necessary inference being, there's nothing so extraordinary about Morphy's play, after all. A change appeared in the criticism on the eight blindfold games at Birmingham, but, then, Morphy stood alone, and interfered with no one's pretensions. When, however, the match with Harwitz came off, Mr. Staunton's tone was suddenly altered, and this gentleman, who previously had scarcely a word of commendation for Morphy, now talked of combinations which would have excited the admiration of Labordonius. The force of language could no further go. Mr. Morphy judged from this unexpected change of tone that Mr. Staunton either believed that these contests with continental players would take up so much of his time in Europe that he would have to leave without playing him, or that Mr. S. was experimenting on the maxim, there are more flies caught with honey than with vinegar. He therefore addressed him the following letter, and in order that the public might no longer be under misapprehension as to the case in hand, he sent copies of the communication to those papers which had shown him marked kindness in Europe. At the suggestion of a very shrewd and attached American friend, a copy was also forwarded to the editor-in-chief of the Illustrated London News. The publication of the letter to Mr. Staunton, in so many journals, was a judicious proceeding. Newspapers are not fond of embarking in a discussion which may, probably, draw its slow length along, and terminate angrily. Besides, whatever the feeling might be on the merits of the case, Mr. Staunton was certainly in the position of English champion, and John Bull does not like it to be proclaimed that one of his sons shows the white feather. But, at the same time, rivalry exists between all journals as to precedence of news and one paper will not willingly be behind the others in giving morphy's letter accordingly the following saturday bell's life the era the field and the sunday times published it as follows morphy's letter to staunton cafe de la regence paris october sixth fifty eight howard staunton esq sir on my arrival in England, three months since, I renewed the challenge to you personally which the New Orleans Chess Club had given some months previously. You immediately accepted, but demanded a month's delay in order to prepare yourself for the contest. Subsequently, you proposed that the time should be postponed until after the Birmingham meeting, to which I assented. On the approach of the period you had fixed, I addressed you a communication requesting that the necessary preliminaries might be immediately settled, but you left London without replying to it. 
I went to Birmingham for the express purpose of asking you to put a stop to further delay by fixing a date for the opening of our match. But before the opportunity presented itself, you came to me, and, in the presence of Lord Littleton, Mr. Avery, and other gentlemen, you stated that your time was much occupied in editing a new edition of Shakespeare, and that you were under heavy bonds to your publishers accordingly. But you reiterated your intention to play me, and said that if I would consent to a further postponement until the first week in November, you would, within a few days, communicate with me and fix the exact date. I have heard nothing further from you, either privately, by letter, or through the columns of the Illustrated London News. A statement appeared in the chess department of that journal a few weeks since that Mr. Morphy had come to Europe unprovided with backers or seconds, the inference being obvious that my want of funds was the reason of our match not taking place. As you are the editor of that department of the Illustrated London News, I felt hurt that a gentleman who had always received me at his club and elsewhere with great kindness and courtesy should allow so prejudicial a statement to be made in reference to me one, too, which is not strictly in accordance with fact. Permit me to repeat what I have invariably declared in every chess community I have had the honor of entering, that I am not a professional player, that I have never wished to make any skill I possess the means of pecuniary advancement, and that my earnest desire is never to play for any stake but honor. My friends in New Orleans, however, subscribed a certain sum, without any countenance from me, and that sum has been ready for you to meet a considerable time past. Since my arrival in Paris I have been assured by numerous gentlemen that the value of those stakes can be immediately increased to any amount, but for myself personally reputation is the only incentive I recognize. The matter of seconds cannot, certainly, offer any difficulty. I had the pleasure of being first received in London by the St. George's Chess Club, of which you are so distinguished a member and of those gentlemen I request the honor of appointing my seconds, to whom I give full authority in settling all preliminaries. In conclusion, I beg leave to state that I have addressed a copy of this letter to the editors of the Illustrated London News, Bell's Life in London, The Era, The Field, and The Sunday Times, being desirous that our true position should no longer be misunderstood by the community at large, again requesting you to fix the date for our commencing the match, I have the honor to remain, sir, your very humble servant, Paul Morphy. At the same time, Mr. Morphy forwarded the following communication to the secretary of the St. George's, requesting the club to appoint his seconds in the match. Morphy's letter to the St. George's Club. T. Hampton, Esquire, Secretary of the St. George's Chess Club. Sir, I beg respectfully to inform you that the New Orleans Chess Club has deposited five hundred pounds at the banking house of Messrs. Haywood and Co., London, that sum being my proportion of the stakes in the approaching match with Mr. Staunton. I shall esteem it a great honor if the St. George's Chess Club will do me the favor of appointing my seconds in that contest. To such gentlemen as they may appoint, I leave the settling of all preliminaries. May I request you to lay this communication before the members of the club, and to oblige me with an early answer. I have the honor to remain, sir, your very humble and obedient servant, Paul Morphy. Café de la Regance, Paris, October 8, 1858. It would be difficult to imagine a more respectful and kindly letter than that to Mr. Staunton. Since Morphy's arrival in Europe, he had considered himself ill-used by that gentleman. His games had been annotated in an inferentially depreciatory manner, his victories accounted for, and his antagonists excused. 
he had been placed in a ridiculous light before the public by the utterly false assertion that he had come to Europe to challenge Mr. Staunton or anyone else without a groat in his purse, and yet he never charges Mr. Staunton with being the author of the falsehood, although Mr. S. is the known editor of the chess column of the Illustrated London News. He positively invites explanation in the most charitable and Christian-like manner, never even calling his statement in question, as he might have done, a positive untruth, but politely characterizing it as not strictly in accordance with fact. End of section 8